Welcome to Unframed, the podcast which hosts talks and conversations about South African art and artists. I am your host, Anthea Pakroy. In this episode, I chat with Lucy McGarry, an independent curator, arts advisor, and co-director of Latitudes Online, a new online marketplace for contemporary art from Africa. In September 2019, McGarry launched Latitudes Art Fair at Santon City with partners Roberta Kochi, Mahati Molabatsi, Nukwazi Zimu, and Anthea Bays. Prior to this, she held positions as the curator of the South African Pavilion at the Venice Biennale, curator of the F&B Joburg Art Fair, curator of the Spear, Nando's, and Hollard collections, and gallery director of David Crit Projects. Lucy and I spoke just before Latitudes Online launched on the 15th of July. Go check it out on latitudesartfair.com. Enjoy my conversation with Lucy McGarry. Welcome, Lucy McGarry, to this episode of Unframed. Thanks, Anthea. Thanks for having me. Lucy, can I ask you to introduce yourself to our audience? Even though I've just done a little introduction, I'm always curious to hear how people identify themselves. Who is Lucy McGarry? Sure. I think that if I was kind of at a family gathering and I was asked by sort of an aunt or something, or I was filling out a form, I would probably say curator, an art curator. But to be quite honest, it's not a space where I feel mm, most comfortable or even energized. It's kind of rather the space between business and the arts, more in an entrepreneurial space where I'm actually most comfortable and intrigued. And I think that if like you look back over my career, I mean, I didn't I don't think I did it purposefully from the start. But uh, looking back, I think that it actually makes sense as to where I've come to now, because I, I did a literature and film undergrad at UCT and then went on to do a honors in marketing and business at the commerce department at UCT. Mm-hmm. I, oh, I lived in San Francisco for two and a half years oh, and waitressed <laughs> near the, I took a waitressing job near the MoMA in San Francisco. I could go and see it oh, every wow. afternoon, which was amazing. Then when I came back, I worked for David Crit Projects, which they actually didn't have a gallery when I was working for them. I started in their print studio and then convinced David to open that little gallery on Jan Smuts Avenue. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, so we we had the gallery there for five years until I decided to go and explore and move to Cape Town. I got a job with, like you said, Yellowwoods, which is the Spear Arts Trust. So that was managing the collections of of Hollard and Spear Wine Estate, and then very sort of quickly developed this thing for Nando's, which, you know, they like to say that they're sort of the biggest African art collection housed around the world. And that was quite a learning curve because it was about sort of procuring art at a very furious pace to fill out these Nando's stores that were popping up around the world. What years would this have been, Lucy? I think I I went to Cape Town in 2009 and then I was in that position for another five years. Okay, And that really kind of gave me experience to sort of understand the impact of what kind of buying on at a mass sort of scale can have on an an art economy and also on the lives of artists. 
it, it really did have quite a big impact. Yeah. Um, but neither of those jobs yet, to be quite honest, are curatorial in the sense that you're not curating, sitting and organizing curatorially themed exhibitions or really researching the, the careers of artists, which a true curator does. So I do feel like it is a bit of a loaded term and it's not necessarily what I've been spending my time doing. Yeah. Then what did I do after that? Then I came back to Joburg and then joined ArtLogic, who's the organizing company for FNB Art Fair, and was with them for three years in the curatorial role again. But again, being a curator of an art fair is not curatorial. <laughs> it's, mm, it's about... Mm. You did do special projects that I, I would see as more curatorial, like within the fairs. Would you agree? Yeah, we did. We did. Uh, I think I did more kind of focus things like on um, East African kind of practice and that sort of thing. And and also a live focus for a lot of performance work. And yeah, I mean, there were definitely curatorial projects, but generally that job entails um, a lot of relationship management with galleries mm. and finding sponsorship. And that's something that I've actually grown to quite like is the relationship between corporates and the arts. That's something that I find quite interesting and has quite an impact. Yes. Yeah. So then, I mean, you're quite aware, I'm sure, of all the developments that have happened with our FMB Joburg Art Fair. And then I ended up leaving that to go and do the Venice Biennale project project and I suppose that was curatorial yeah. that was probably my one proper curatorial highlight with Candice Brace and um, Maha Morisi King and that was that was amazing what very like a privilege to have been a part of also not easy quite political and and a complicated project but I think a really strong presentation for South Africa which was something quite new because we had in the past, as you know, done sort of large group presentations to try yeah. and um, like have a very representative show of what South Africa's capable of. And and we were quite bold in our statement of taking just two artists. We actually started out with um, a proposal for just one. And then we we went with two artists and but we transformed the space and it was it was really it was an incredible yeah, I saw um, experiential mm, thing for beautiful. people. Can you maybe talk a little bit about the politics of the BNL? Yeah, I think it was just that we had two very sort of strong characters as artists. And in kind of planning out the exhibition, one artist can is, is very established and has exhibited, you know, all over the world. Mm. Um, and her works require a huge amount of tech and space. And really kind of she has a very particular vision of how they should be shown. And the space that we had at Venice was very small to actually house these two artists' visions. So it ended up being something where... Mohao, who is a younger artist, but also, you know, incredibly talented and internationally recognized, had these ideas for these kind of audiovisual experiences. And we had to architecturally divide up the space and make sure that it was fair, but it wasn't ever really necessarily going to be because of the nature of the space. Yeah. So the space was compromised and it was just quite tricky. So it was like managing that. And then 
outsider's opinion. So if you would have like journalists come and instead of actually looking at the work, they were kind of picking apart uh, like how many square meters the one artist <laughs> got over the other. And like, it wasn't about that. You yeah. know, it was really trying to present the works in the best way possible. And so it always kind of feels like with South African art politics, it gets reduced down to this, you know, the political nature of things. But that's understandable. Yeah. It's where we are. You know, it's unavoidable. Yeah. I remember, I think there were also comments around um, why Candice as an artist who is considered a South African artist, but isn't residing in South Africa, was being selected to represent, I think. Am I right? Was that some of the Yes, there was. There, was so, there were multiple kind of criticisms like that. I felt like that was kind of a parochial view because, I mean, you're South African, you're South African, whether yeah. you've chosen to live abroad or not for a few years or however long. And her work is incredible and I think also was deserving of that recognition yeah. um, in a South African context because she has had so much international um, acknowledgement but I, I felt like actually it was due and the fact that she was paired up with a kind of um, more emerging artist I thought was an incredibly interesting tension yeah. and of course her work is intrinsically about South Africa in the context so yeah so that kind of argument yes. I, I struggled with but yeah when you spoke about the politics, I, I immediately went to the government tender process because obviously that's been, that's been super controversial in the past. I mean, how did you find that process? You know, we actually were quite lucky, I think, because we hit it at a time where there was actually a relatively strong team at the DAC and we didn't struggle as much. And I think a large part of that had to do with Anne Roberts, who was our producer. And Anne uh, was with a company called Connect Channel and they are film producers. And she managed that whole process for the DSC incredibly well. And, and she had actually been on one of their advisory or selection panels. So she kind of had some a familiarity with them. Okay. All right. That's good. Yeah. I mean, I understand that, you know, budgets are a problem and that kind of thing. And the, the next year, so the last Biennale was really was not handled very well. And mm. their, you know, curators had to actually pay up front for costs and put themselves at risk and things like that, which we did not have to do. And so we really have nothing bad to say about the DAC about and our year. experience with yeah. them. Yeah. Just to pick up on something you said about this dilemma between curator and kind of administrator, essentially. Do you think that firstly, the concept of curator is maybe a little bit too idealized and actually is very intrinsically linked to admin <laughs> and to organization? organization. <laughs> and perhaps maybe it's also a very South African kind of phenomenon that because we don't have enough resources, the curator has to be spread out into more roles than perhaps a curator in a more well-resourced institution or something. Yeah, absolutely. I just don't think we have the luxury of really spending time doing the, the traditional curatorial work, like you say. But even if we did from a personal perspective, I actually prefer the kind of business side of things and relationship and that sort of thing. So, I mean, I started a business, my own business called Lamad Collection during my time at Fear, and that was kind of working with um, artists in a more sort of design space. So I actually enjoy initiating these projects which can have financial impact. So, yeah, so, I mean, it's not to say that I don't enjoy the curatorial work, but yeah. And then I went on to start my own business, which was a consultancy. So I worked for Keys Art Mile for a while and organized exhibitions there. And then actually went briefly back to FNB in early 2019. 
to go and kind of take up a role as director of the FEB. And then that's where things really changed completely. And I did listen to one of your podcasts, I think with Mandla Sibeko, where he explains yeah. that sort of dissolution in detail. I was just wondering if you can maybe just summarize for listeners that potentially haven't listened to that episode, if you can just maybe talk about that process of Joburg Art Fair becoming Art Joburg and then you starting Latitudes. Yeah, so... I was away from Joburg Art Fair for two years and then got a call from Russ Douglas in Paris to say, you know, things are changing. Mandla Sibeko had actually left and Kirby Gaviskakni, who had been there since the start for like 12 years, was also leaving. Would I consider coming back and being in a kind of director role as opposed to curator? Which excited me because it's a funded fair. So, yeah. you know, it has funding from FNB, which makes life a lot easier than starting your fair without a sponsor. Absolutely. Which So so I had kind of in the back of my mind, you know, always thought that I was going to start something similar. But when this proposal came along, I was, you know, excited because there's so much potential that one can do or that the fair has. So... I came back on with a kind of vision to try and work with the galleries, the existing galleries that had been with the fair for so long. They had great criticisms about how the fair had kind of, the quality of the fair had gone down over the years. Mm. And I believe that I could sort of come in and, and help them to sort of re-envision it and get it to the standard at which at what they wanted. But it quite quickly became apparent that there was this kind of move or they had got together as a group and decided that it really was and what it needed to be and that they were going to create something on their own. So I was kind of brought in. At, it was too far advanced, their mm. conversation. So when I came in, they had kind of started this, what they were going to have as a separate fair. And they had like a new location for it and all of that sort of stuff. And it would have meant that, you know, Joburg Art Fair would have continued, but without those galleries, without uh. the sort of big, more dominant galleries in South Africa. And then I, I actually envisioned something which was quite plausible, I think, was to have a fair without those galleries and to actually have something more along the lines of perhaps 154, which was more continent focused, mm. getting, um, you know, Africa more involved and more represented in, in the fair. And then to work with and collaborate what was going to be the separate fair of the bigger galleries. And to be quite honest, I think that that whole thing was kind of a natural progression because our industry over the last 10 years has developed so quickly um, and you know we've we've seen it you and I from the start like I remember the days when Ross Douglas used to come into David Critt's gallery and chat to me about oh do you think Joburg needs a fair should we have a fair like yeah you know and then from going from that to like the heydays of the fair and it being the, the place to meet it's slowly kind of I don't know, it kind of lost a little bit of its edge. Yeah. And I do think that what happened with that is that the galleries that became the more dominant galleries were experiencing what it was like to, to exhibit internationally. So they quite quickly, because of African art becoming, you know, so sought after, were invited into or accepted into a lot of the big behemoth international um, fairs. Yeah. And the standard of those fairs is, you know, incomparable like to what we can produce at the Santon Convention Center, <laughs> both in scale and in terms of like experience. And so they became accustomed to that. And that's something that they wanted to institute in South Africa, which is commendable. But it, it, the dynamic between the fair organizers and what those galleries kind of had in mind started to slowly break down because neither one 
could deliver, I think. So so that's why that happened organically. And I think it's also a case of like, you know, in a small pond, you start to become frustrated. So I actually Mm. thought that the idea of two separate events could potentially work because then they could complement one another. And I know that, you know, the market is small and how much, and you one, one questions like how much can the market actually absorb and are there enough buyers and that kind of thing. Yeah. And this is something, you know, we experienced with Latitudes also because of our economy not doing so well. So in the end, what was decided is that to actually start a new fair entails a huge amount of investment. And capacity, and it wasn't something that they felt, you know, was feasible. So they decided to come back and with Mandler, re-envision the Joburg Art Fair. So to actually buy Joburg Art Fair. And and so Mandler did buy the fair Mm -hmm. with the support and not financial support, but with the kind of client support of those galleries. And then, and then they went about this kind of curatorial re-envisioning of what it is and renamed it and that kind of thing. And so there wasn't really a space for my career in that because I had been on the other end of, of saying, let's like approach it the other way where let's keep all the galleries, the smaller galleries, the curators, all of those people which make our ecosystem, the, the unique ecosystem that it is. Let's build on that and keep that as the identity of the fair. But mm. but we had two different visions. So, yeah. Yeah. Two questions that have come out of what you've just said. The first is around what you call the dominant galleries. And, and you just used the word the smaller galleries. What do you think is the difference between these kind of galleries and how do they get those titles? What defines them in those two spaces? In any art economy, you're going to have emerging galleries and and bigger galleries, older galleries that have largest and more experienced stables of artists, you know. Mm. But I think that historically we need to make changes in the environment for smaller Black-owned galleries to thrive. Yeah. And if we don't actually kind of make possibilities available for people, then, you know, the, the gap will just grow. So dominant in the sense of not in a negative way do I mean that yeah but those larger galleries have played incredibly important roles in the careers of so many artists and have put artists on the map internationally and invest in the careers of artists so the the role of the gallery and the role of the larger galleries is incredibly vital and and that's why our South African art market is actually so respected is because of them Mm. But I do think that there needs to be two sides to the coin. Like we have to keep developing on the other side. And 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 it is, it's exciting. I mean, I think, and, and in developing my own initiative with my co-director's Latitudes, it's become apparent that there's so much potential and so many people wanting to be involved in kind of curatorial roles and own businesses, little galleries. So I don't think we should cap our, you know, that kind of argument of, is there really room for three fairs mm. in Joburg at the same time? I, I find that really self-limiting when people begin to talk like that because, you know, in Miami, you've got 14 fairs or something at the same time. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, the more invested we are, the more collectors will grow out of it and become interested. So I don't think we should limit ourselves to, you know, Cape Town Art Fair and a Joburg Art Fair. I think the experience of what is now FNB Art Joburg as a kind of the best of the best experience is vital. 
and other fairs uh, need to come up and, and there need to be more of us and more initiatives. Mm. So tell me, how was the experience of putting together the first Latitudes Art Fair last year? Uh, we only had three months to do it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so it was crazy. But my relationships with the galleries that had exhibited at FMB Art Joburg obviously helped. And FMB was actually quite supportive of us being there and, you know, being right across the road at Nelson Mandela Square. Mm. Yeah, but it, it was exhausting and stressful because <laughs> it was about raising the money, really, to put yeah. that up. I mean, we raised like over 2 million rand in that short space of time and wow. we were able to design, implement, get everybody on board and put together what, I mean, we were in a marquee, which wasn't ideal. And it was a warmer kind of spring than we anticipated. So it was slightly warm in there. But other than that, I think we put on a really beautiful show. Yeah, You know, the walls were like, four meters high they were impeccable we worked with an incredible production company our marketing was really on another level because of our partner Santon City who gave us kind of huge billboard space I think we got like 14 million rands worth of PR we did like in that short space of time us as a small team of women really pulled it off so it was an exciting and exhilarating experience So let's talk about this huge change. Because of COVID-19, you've had to kind of rethink 2020 and cancel Latitude's Art Fair for this year. And you've, I think, responded quite quickly to this change. And so tell us about Latitude's Online and how you've needed to shift from the conventional art fair model. So we were furiously planning and going ahead and we were actually moving our fair to the rooftop of Santon City, which is an amazing location because it's got 6,000 square meters. We only had 1,000 square meters on Nelson Mandela Square. Mm. Yeah, so this really, I mean, not that we were going to fill the full 6,000, but it was really going to give us like room to grow. And the views are amazing up there. So we had planned this amazing fair. And then in the subsequent months, we had also connected with Handmade Contemporary's new owner, Leslie Hudson, with this idea of actually putting Handmade Contemporary on the rooftop at the same time as Latitudes. Oh, wow. And our reasoning for this was because we were moving to a location that's not like immediately visible. So you need the foot traffic up there. And while, you know, FNB Art Joburg was going to be taking place at the convention center, which is literally across the road, we wanted like a significant amount of people to be on that rooftop at any given point. So our like our kind of concept for that was to have two fairs on the rooftop. With, so you would kind of have one ticket and then gain access to both of these experiences, the one art-centric and the other design-centric. And then they would be brought together by this kind of communal eating and drinking mm. and, yeah, lounging kind of area, social area, um, and all with these beautiful views. And we were going to put a lot of effort into kind of the lifestyle experience so that people felt like they could come back a number of times over the weekend and also just hang out there. So that was all going ahead. And and when we are able to have large-scale events again, so we're hoping that that plan will then come into fruition for 2021. Mm. Before you go onto the bus, just a quick question. Does the so you spoke about not loving the marquee? Does the rooftop have a like a formal structure, or is it would it also kind of be a marquee setup? It would be a marquee. Yeah, what what was going to be nice is that we would have been able to 
go higher with the marquee on the rooftop because oh, okay. um, there were weight restrictions on the square because they're actually parking underneath the square. There is parking obviously underneath the rooftop, but we were finding ways to work around mm-hmm. that. And also Santon is actually exploring putting a permanent structure up there. So that was also kind of within our discussions. Okay. That um, sounds really exciting. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So the butt. <laughs> yes. What was the butt? The butt was COVID. <laughs> yeah. The big butt of 2020. <laughs> Yeah, so then that all unfolded. So what happened was really we kind of kicked into gear this project that we've been planning right from the start but never got to because planning these large-scale events requires so much fundraising. Yeah, like that kind of work that we just hadn't got to what we had envisioned as like an online marketplace for Latitudes because it really just gives you so much more scope and you're able to reach so many more exhibitors Mm. on an online platform, obviously. So we had already had conversations with our developers about it. So we kind of already knew the structure of what needed to be built. And while it seems, you know, incredibly simple when the when the user actually comes onto the site and uses it, there's quite a lot of back-end development, which takes time. And mm, I'm sure. Because what you need is a scalable platform. So you need something where exhibitors can come on and log in and then manage their own profiles. And otherwise, you know, you're limited by the capacity of our little team who would be able, you know, uploading and that kind of thing. Mm. But what it was, Latitudes Online, is an extension of our vision for Latitudes. So Latitudes was kind of envisioned as the space where we felt we were kind of democratizing the art space and giving everyone in the ecosystem a chance to participate. So we have nonprofit platforms, independent artists, galleries, and curators, all operating in an equitable space. Mm. And that for us is key. And that's something that I've just always believed in and I've always thought is possible. And in any art market around the world, there's kind of the elitism in an art world. And that that kind of builds into the value of artworks. And it is important to have that. But I do believe, and maybe it's just very idealistic, that you can still give everybody a chance to kind of participate and still have it very curatorially strong. And that's kind of what we're out to prove. So our platform is curated and every exhibitor and every artwork that's on the platform has been vetted. But our kind of philosophy is not to turn people away. It's to to work with them to present their best selves. So mm. like if we have an exhibitor that, you know, has like two good works and that's it out of a presentation, then we'll work with those two good works, give feedback and try and improve the presentation to the point at which it's at a point where we can show it. So I think that's the difference is just yeah. trying to work and develop the industry. Yeah, I mean, that was one of my questions that I was going to ask a little bit later on is how you balance this incredible desire to be inclusive and to be equitable with quality control. I mean, that was something that Louise, you know, Louise, my partner from Assemblage. Yeah, we used to have this debate all the time because it's a really, it's quite a difficult conflict, you know, because that's what we were hoping to do with Assemblage as well. It was this inclusivity, but also how do you manage the quality control? Yeah, I mean, I think... (laughs) 
it's an undertaking. In an ideal world, it sounds like something which is easy, but it's really not easy and it's it's hard work. Mm. But I think that's what the differentiating factor is for us. And I think that's what gives us kind of a, a unique voice is the fact that that's the work that we want to do and that we're willing to do. And that's the long game. And I think if that work isn't done, then, you know, where does it leave us? Mm. So like what's been so exciting is, you know, we've had, you know, international galleries based in London and Germany and all over Africa apply and they're on our system. But then at the same time, a gallery which I actually didn't even know about from Langa called 16 on um, Leratoli is a brand new gallery with like incredible vision and potential that's now on our system. And it's things like that, which are so invigorating. And I think that's what kind of makes it exciting for people. Mm. So, I mean, can you maybe just explain a little bit more about what we can expect to experience on Latitudes Online? So what happens when we go and visit the site? So when you go on, it's a very easy to navigate site. We've tried to keep it as simple as possible because there's a lot of content on the site. So there's really just like a few nav bars up at the top. So when you land, there's a the homepage is editorial. So that's really to do kind of features on, you know, exciting artists or exhibitions or sort of developments in the art world on the continent. And also that's a space for kind of sponsors or corporates to get involved and to have uh, profiling on that page. And then when you sort of dive a bit deeper, you go, there's a works page and that gives you, you just click on there and you literally have a flood of amazing works and how the kind of filtering system works is the newest are just shown all the time. Mm -hmm. And that just cascades down um, and it's a mix. So it's kind of an algorithm which allows as many different artists to be shown at the same time on that page. And then obviously you can go into um, our different sections. So I mentioned before that we've got galleries, nonprofits, curators, artists and Studios, yes, studios, which is great. I love that section. So there you can go into each of those sections and then you can see all of the exhibitors within those sections. And those profiles of each of those exhibitors can grow exponentially. So it really just depends on how much time and you know they want to invest in growing their profiles. And if you then land on a artwork that you're interested in buying, you click into it and when, there's a little inquire button. So everything is visible, the price, the size, you know, obviously an artist biography and information on the artwork. But then you can just directly inquire right there on the artwork. And that inquiry goes directly to the exhibitor. Okay. It goes, yeah, it goes directly to the artist or gallery. So there's also a little bit of work involved here for Latitudes because kind of competitive platforms, well, RC's a major international platform. Yeah from which we've taken a few cues is um, they they work mainly with galleries. And I think a large part of that is because galleries are so set up for handling and client inquiries and then also handling the sales and the shipping of works. Mm. So we are going to be more hands-on when it comes to independent artists and helping them through that process so that it is a kind of seamless process for the client. Yeah. But the galleries are, you know, all very well versed in that. So so we we kind of overseeing and managing this process, but it's that's how you go about it. So okay. it's a marketplace as opposed to an e-commerce platform. Mm. There's no time it's going to be on from the time it launches to infinity. Will it be on always or does it <laughs> Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a year-round marketplace. Okay. And that's quite a differentiating thing because I think when lockdown happened, a lot of the fairs quickly reacted by creating virtual viewing rooms and that kind of thing, like Art Basel yes, did, that were which are time-specific. Exactly, yeah. Yes, which is not our model. Our model is to is to become a, an ongoing platform. And we've had such amazing feedback from, you know, like a design firm in Cape Town, for example, who went on and it's one place where they can literally have like, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of artworks to choose from uh, for a project that they're doing or like fitting out, you know, a house or hotel or something like that, where it's actually just like one resource where you can access art from all the continent. And that's the difference. Like if you go onto the international platforms, which are very powerful, but they have so much material from so many places around the world. So one has to really know and be able to search as opposed to here, which is kind of more guided because it's a specific focus on African contemporary art. Yeah, I think it's so necessary to have a platform like this. I'm very excited. Yeah, it really felt like this repository of contemporary African art. And yeah. and I know you do you get names like you know, Brett Murray and Candice Braits next to names of emerging artists. And it's really refreshing to see. And I'm sure it's going to grow over time and kind of more names will start populating. And I just think it's incredible to look through. And I spent a long time on it. So given that it's not a time-based fair, I assume it's just free to enter, right? I mean, obviously, as a gallery, you need to pay or an artist, you need to pay. But as a viewer, you just access it or do you have to pay to access it? No, so it's completely free for the uh, end user. Okay. Uh, and, and our model for kind of starting it from a exhibitor point of view was to actually make it free for a few months so that people could actually come on and test it and then see if it's valuable to them. And then in from sort of September 1st, we're going to institute a very small subscription. So our subscription starts at like 350 rand a month. Okay. To, and then it goes up to a thousand rand a month if you, you know, for a really large amount of works. But it's that's a fraction, an absolute fraction of a cost of what other platforms out there are charging. Okay, and wow. and so what, what the model is, is that it's a subscription base. So we actually don't currently take any commission on sales and of the artworks. And so we're hoping to kind of get corporate support for the running of the site. And so that it really does, it actually becomes a tool for people and it and it really helps. And they, you know, some artists have, don't have the means to have a website or have like an online profile. So this gives them that. Mm. And access to an audience, even if they yeah. did have their own website, how do you actually get it out there? So, yeah. Exactly. And and worth mentioning is the fact that to kind of circle back to HMC, Handmade Contemporary that was going to be on the rooftop with us, is when we were developing Latitudes Online, we quickly thought, well, I mean, let's why not develop a, a design platform for the design industry at the same time? So what we've done is we've put out a call to designers and makers to apply to that. So we are ready to launch Latitudes Online next week um, and to make that live for, for the public. And then the the design one, I think, will be ready in about three weeks to launch that one. And we've had a really nice positive uptake. Yeah. Okay, that's exciting. I know. It's so very that's, exciting. It's very cool. And there's a lot of crossovers. So like... Will you be able to like access... Will there be like a button on each yes. website to kind of go to the other portal? Yeah. I mean, at one point we were actually envisioning having them both on the same portal, but that would have been insane because mm. there's just too much content. Um and it's also a different audience at times, um, not totally, always, but yeah. yeah. 
So I wanted you described Latitudes Online as a marketplace. I'm interested in this term of marketplace because I think it's got a negative connotation for art. And I don't know whether that's like a bit of an elitist perspective in that art is considered a luxury item. And so the term market is potentially like, mm. you know, not in line with that. And But I don't know if it's useful to think of it like that because maybe that's what art fairs are. So I just wanted to hear your perspective on that and how it's different Latitudes Online mm. and Latitudes Art Fair might be considered differently? No, I mean, essentially, I think the operation of the of the visitor is, and the, and the experience is the same. So it's, it's basically like what we've created is a continual art fair. And I know that in European contexts, you know, fairs are not considered as sort of as, as valuable as kind of like in the museum experience. But, you know, we don't have the luxury of having the kind of institutional support where, you know, the museum experience is the norm. And so what's happened in South Africa is that our art fairs have become these really important cultural events. And they are focused around buying and sustaining the market. But then they've also tried to kind of play these sort of biennale roles with um, doing like, you know, non-commercial things and projects. So I think we all kind of, and, and that's kind of one of the unique things about our art market in, in South Africa and on the broader continent is that we we have to think creatively. We can't just like stay in our lanes. We have to think, okay, well, if we are creating a marketplace, how can it be of value in other ways? And what kind of, so, I mean, I have like a whole plan of how we can bring education into, into our online marketplace, uh, how it can become like a wider resource, um, how we can involve, you know, museums and, you know, if a student lands on there, it's actually a, a research tool for them. So I think one has to think about this if you're going to live and contribute to your context. So I don't have a negative view of the art fair. I think that it plays an important role. And going online is just an extension of this. And it allows us in this very important time to access a broader audience. And because our economy is not bullish, we have to think about ways to promote our content to European and American and Asian audiences. And this will allow us to do that. Mm. And also, I think that COVID has been like a great leveler in the sense of, you know, it, it's not only the kind of large and wealthy spaces that are able to access audiences anymore now because people are having to go online and become more accustomed to buying online you know anybody can put their stuff up if, if it's well presented it's available yeah absolutely you know I can see the possibilities you know the potential of this kind of space and accessing both you know exhibitors and, and artists as well as new audiences what would you say maybe some of the challenges or the limitations around a platform like this could be, especially in the act of viewing art? Um, I think what one loses is the kind of this, the experience of, you know, walking into a space and experiencing the scale of the work. I think scale is a problem for me as a viewer, mm. that you really just don't, you lose that. But I really do think it's amazing how quickly we've adapted to this whole different way of living mm. and to actually viewing works online. So, um, you know, there's so many sort of softwares out there that you can actually have like a very experiential thing where you walk around the gallery. I actually feel like a lot of that stuff is quite gimmicky and it takes away from the work. I would actually just prefer to kind of 
have an expanded view of the work and look at it. So there are certain things like you can't walk up to the work and, you know, turn it like have a look at the back of the canvas and get a a real sense of texture. So it's scale and texture and I suppose um, then the whole kind of social aspect around it. So, Mm. you know, those little stories that you get told by either the gallerist or the artist, you know, during a walkabout, the things that kind of bring a a work of art to life um, and make it personal. So I think those are things we're going to need to figure out how to replace and I hope I mean we are going to have events eventually and maybe they're just different kind of formats or smaller events more meaningful more events during the year as opposed to these sort of blockbuster 14 to 20,000 people events Mm. and I think all of that is like has a positive impact on so many things like the environment I mean all these fairs happening around the world are like a major problem with all the shipping that needs to go on. And so fairs in general have needed a rethink for many years and have become, I think, quite a vital part of the art economy, but also very difficult and putting little galleries under huge amounts of financial pressure to be able to be at the fair because if they're not at the fair, they're nowhere and then they feel like they're completely isolated and out of the market. And I think that pressure is really destructive and destructive to kind of the creative growth of things. Mm, Interesting. How do you think that the art market, like people's buying habits um, and interests have changed because of COVID? How do you think this might present itself for Latitudes Online? I mean, I think in general, art buying has reduced just because of, you know, the shock to the whole economy. But I do think that slowly but truly it's going to recover. And I mean, I've read so many articles which have said that galleries have managed to to sell online and, and make it a viable, you know, income stream. So in a way, like you've lost the, all the exhibition openings and those things which are critical to like locking deals down and that kind of thing. But then what you've actually gained is more consistent access to the market. So Whereas you would have a, you know, a gallery would have, you know, every two months an opening or every month an opening. By having, being forced to put everything online, they're constantly making their work available to people around the world. So instead of like a timed engagement, now you have like a 24-hour engagement with an audience and the audience is global. So I think for me, you know, it's hard to tell. I can't say exactly what's going to happen, but I'm quite excited about being part of this shift because our little art economy in South Africa has grown very quickly and then felt like it became quite political and then felt like it became quite stagnant and then felt like it needed a shift. And I feel like in a way this came at a good time, even though, you know, it's caused incredible heartache and, and all sorts of other ways. But I do think that it's an interesting development and it'll see which businesses um, come out strong. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it sounds like an incredibly important platform for us right now. And I'm very impressed with the way in which you guys kind of made it happen so quickly. So that's great. So last question is not that putting out an online huge platform like this isn't kind of probably taking up all your time, but what's ahead for you in the next year or so? Like what do you have on your plate? So we are very much dedicated to this and to growing it. So really what what the visitor sees from the 15th of July onwards when they visit the site is like the first iteration of what it's capable of. Mm. So with the online space, there's so many things one can develop and it's so exciting you know, one just needs the kind of funding and development time. But we've we've had great interest from the corporate sector in this, which has been positive. 
Yeah. So I think for us, you know, Roberta Cotri is as co-founder is is really developing and throwing herself into kind of the design aspect. And we've got so much work to do there with Leslie Hudson and Gomoto Lopez, so uh, who is from the HMC side. So like, I think we've got our hands full with developing Latitudes Online and HMC Online to kind of position ourselves as the sort of platform for African art and design you know, the go-to place, really. Mm. Well, I can't wait to see it and for you to share it and to hear all the responses and to see all the sales. <laughs> yeah, you. looking forward to seeing what you guys put together for the next year or so. But yeah, it is it is really great to be able to sit and navigate all this art in your pajamas, <laughs> which is what I did last <laughs> night. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Cool, Lucy. Thank thank you you. so much. Thanks for joining us today. And um, I wish you all the best and good luck for the launch. Thanks, Anthea. Thanks so much. Thanks to Lucy and to you, the listeners, for joining us for today's episode. I encourage you to go spend time and explore Latitudes online at latitudesartfair.com. This really is an incredible, much-needed platform for South African and African art. Please follow Unframed on Facebook and Instagram and share this episode with your networks. Subscribe to our channel on Apple Podcasts to automatically receive new episodes. And don't forget to rate and review us. Thanks. See you next time. Bye.